Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode, we are joined by AAF's labor policy analyst, Isabel Soto, who's here to talk to us about the unemployment insurance supplement as part of our special series tracking the economic impact and response of the COVID-19 pandemic. Isabel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. How are you holding up during all this craziness? It's been okay. Trying to do more cooking. Haven't quite fallen into the bread baking phase yet, but uh, doing about as well as I could be given the circumstances. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing similar. I also have not gotten into bread baking, but that's just because I can't find yeast anywhere because everybody else is doing it. So I digress. So you're here to talk to us about unemployment insurance program today. Congress's largest coronavirus uh, relief package, the CARES Act, uh, included a significant supplement to federal uh, unemployment insurance, an extra $600 per week. Um, Talk us through this program. What was the rationale for it? Yeah, so I think, yeah, we'll start by just saying why we actually have this expanded unemployment and just give a little bit of context about the actual situation that we're in right now. Uh, We're currently in a moment where the U.S. labor market is seeing the highest recorded job losses in its history. In April, we saw payrolls plunge by about 20.5 million, and the employment rates jumped uh, to just over 14%. So the question is what to do in this situation where we're seeing massive layoffs um, and individuals losing their attachment to work, as well as the ability to support themselves and their families. So the policy response, which you've already mentioned, uh, was bolstering the unemployment insurance program through the CARES Act. Uh, Under uh, CARES, eligibility was expanded to unemployment insurance. Additional weeks were added uh, for those who had exhausted their benefits. And the actual uh, amounts that individuals receive on unemployment is being supplemented by pandemic unemployment compensation, which is a $600 bump a week uh, that you mentioned. So... uh, And that comes on top of what their state benefit would normally be. It's uh, the the pandemic unemployment compensation benefit has been in effect uh, since March 27th, uh, and it's set to expire uh, July 31st. But with this additional and expanded unemployment insurance uh, benefit, there are a couple of different problems that have happened. Yeah, you've written about this program. While it worked to keep a lot of people home, as you mentioned, that was the rationale behind all this. It also created a significant incentive problem for getting people back to work. Tell us about that. So it, it was great to keep people at work when we were in a in a situation where almost all the states were in some sort of lockdown and we needed to keep people out of the workplace. Um, the problem is that with this additional $600 a week, it actually means that a lot of people are going to be making more on unemployment than they do at work. Uh, so now that the situation has changed and most states are in some sort of uh, phase of reopening or preparing to enter the first phase of reopening, um, this is going to pose a problem when it comes to getting people reengaged with the workforce, uh, returning to employers, and just beginning the early stages of economic recovery. Yeah, and people are already weary about going in public right now, so it makes it even more it makes it even harder to get people back there. Um, you've done some research on the breadth of this work incentive problem. What what did you find? So the analysis I did found that about 63% of the workforce could be making more on unemployment. Um, So this is actually a serious challenge when it comes to just jumpstarting that economic recovery we want to start seeing. 
and puts um, individuals themselves in a really difficult situation because I, they, I, assuming that a lot of people do actually want to work, they're forced to choose between returning to something and seeing a loss of income or staying home um, and potentially risking uh, destroying that relationship with their employer. And one of the more interesting parts about your research, I think, has been um, you looked at this problem on a state by state level. So each individual specific state and what their what their needs are. How are some states more affected than others? Yeah. So the unemployment system is a uh, very complicated one. Uh, the formulas to calculate base uh, state benefits vary wildly in each state. Uh, wages are different. So even those those numbers that you get at the end of those calculations are going to be different. So adding just that flat $600 benefit is affecting places differently. Uh, for example, just looking at the maximum uh, benefits in D.C., uh, adding that $600 would make 35% of workers in the District of Columbia face a work disincentive. So that's not that high. But at the same time, if we go over and look at a place like Kentucky and Idaho uh, and their max benefit, including that $600 bump, we're seeing about 75% of workers facing a work disincentive. So because it's this flat add-on, it's not really catered to each and every state and might not fit each and every state's needs. Um, on top of that, states are in very different places in terms of the resources they have to put into their uh, unemployment offices and just the capacity they have to not only um, to support their workers in, in general during a, a normal uh, economic situation, let alone during a pandemic. So we're seeing places like California, for example, that um, came in with depleted unemployment funds and have had to borrow from the federal government. So there are about 10 different states that are having to do that or requesting uh, funds from the government to be able to continue giving out benefits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that makes their situation that much more tough. The current UI supplemental expires on July 31st, and we'll talk about what comes next a little later. But states are beginning to open their economies now. How are different states dealing with this problem of getting workers back in jobs, back in the economy, when it's more lucrative for them to stay on unemployment? Yeah, so that is the big question, is now that we are in, in a reopening phase in a lot of parts of this country, is how do we get people to return when that might not necessarily be within their best interest to forego some of that increased income that they're seeing on unemployment. So there are two different strategies at play. Um, one that would mainly reward workers for returning to work with some sort of uh, return to work bonus or additional pay. And the other, which uh, seeks to limit uh, some of the unemployment benefits or the ease in getting unemployment benefits by doing things like uh, reintroducing work search requirements. Georgia is a great example of one of the states that is taking the route of doing more of a, a return to work bonus. So they're allowing uh, individuals to earn up to $300 a week without losing any kind of unemployment benefit. And beyond earning the 300, they'll just be deducted every dollar from their unemployment benefit. The important thing to note is even if uh, an individual receives just a single dollar of state unemployment benefits, they're still entitled to that federal $600 bump. Uh, many other states have a standard rule that you can receive up to your weekly state benefit amount in additional pay without losing the benefit altogether. 
But in some places, this can be as low as 275 a week, the equivalent of about a $14,000 annualized salary. Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit, you know, sticking with challenges in the labor market right now. But let's talk about uh, the efforts to limit layoffs during the pandemic. What strategies are being used to keep people at work? Yeah, so limiting layoffs to begin with is just the other side of the coin. It's making sure that that unemployed number doesn't keep going up. Right. Uh, one option that's been discussed a fair bit and is, has gained support is uh, short-term compensation, also referred to as uh, work sharing or shared work. So uh, short-term compensation is basically a federal state unemployment program that allows employers to reduce hours of several or all of their employees in lieu of layoffs. Uh, for example, an employer might reduce uh, work hours of the entire workforce by 20% uh, and maybe have people come in four days a week instead of five rather than laying off 20% of their workers. Is there a policy side to work sharing? Um, can employers just do this or um, does there have to be a regulatory side to it? So yeah, there are actually a couple different hoops to jump from and uh, work sharing is not really something that's fully operational on a national level. There are 26 states that have uh, work sharing programs in place in addition to uh, the District of Columbia, but uh, the CARES Act allowed other states to begin kind of short-term uh, work-sharing programs, and they'll help reimburse some of uh, some of the money spent there. So there are a lot of different things that need to be done before you can have something like this up and running. Um, and so that includes things like actually proving that cutting the hours uh, does mean that you are avoiding layoffs. So you can't do both. You can't reduce employees' hours and then also lay off certain employees. So that's step one. Uh, step two would be uh, making sure that the amount of unemployment compensation payable is, pro is a prorated portion of what those employees would receive if they had been unemployed. And then the last one is uh, tricky for some, uh, for some employers, especially considering that many right now are in a difficult financial situation, uh, even though uh, employees' hours are cut, the employer has to continue providing the same level of health and retirement benefits to any and all employees who see any kind of work reduction under the program. And those requirements are just a, a, hand, a handful of what you need to do in order to get this program um, going and approved for funding uh, under CARES. And that's assuming that you have submitted all the necessary paperwork to the appropriate work agency for approval. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about what comes next. House Democrats have already passed legislation, the HEROES Act, to extend the federal unemployment supplement until January. How would this extension affect the labor market and the recovery if it becomes law? So when we're talking about a benefit like this, the $600 bump, um, this is something that's never been done before on, and not, not never on the scale that it's being done now. So it's best to proceed with caution with something like this. Uh, in my opinion, there are still far too many unanswered questions um, just around what we're going to do next and what's going to happen next. So we don't know what things are gonna look like come January, let alone the next couple of months. Um, we might not have such a strong need to incentivize people away from work. Uh, the other question is, is $600 a week the right number? 
that hasn't been something that's fully been explored yet um, and is an important thing to address right now. Mm -hmm. So in your mind, what should what should policymakers be thinking about moving forward to both help those who can't get back to work and also encourage those who can get back to work to, to, to do so? This is a tricky question um, because making kind of broad strokes policy decisions around unemployment is extremely challenging. Um, I mean, it's the same issues that we saw when this $600 federal bump was being considered because the calculations that go into um, deciding what wage replacements are going to look like in each state are so different. So I think it is important before any additional kind of legislation is considered to just deal with some of the consequences and problems of the existing policy. So uh, we have to look to that July 31st deadline and think about what's going to happen there. Uh, having those benefits just be abruptly cut off may not be the best, even with the work disincentive uh, accounted for. So a phasing out approach might be the best way to do this. Uh, I actually did some work on what something like that could look like uh, to slowly reduce that federal bump. And even going down to about the uh, on a $100 bump, we're still seeing 25% of workers uh, uh, seeing a work disincentive. A gradual reduction in this additional $600 would provide a much smoother transition from a pandemic, massive unemployment situation and start moving us toward a return to work phase. Gotcha. So as phase four takes takes shape, I'm sure we're going to see a lot more on this topic. And of course, more insights and more research from you as well. Um, so we'll all be looking forward to all of that. Let's end this discussion with a look at hazard pay. We've heard a lot of conversation on this topic, and it is one of the most searched papers on our site. So people are interested in it. Um, can you walk us through this discussion? Absolutely. Um, so hazard pay is essentially just additional earnings um, uh, or additional money made available to workers who are in uh, particularly dangerous industries, uh, typically in logging, uh, truck driving, uh, uh, airline pilots also receive some form of hazard pay. But now what we're seeing are workers in industries that typically weren't very dangerous have become extremely dangerous. Um, things like delivery services, uh, food services, uh, grocery store workers are all at a disproportionate risk um, in this current moment. So uh, several legislators, the president himself has voiced support for some sort of hazard pay. So some sort of additional pay for these workers that have stayed working uh, during the pandemic. There are currently two plans, uh, one on each side of the aisle that are up for discussion right now. Uh, one was introduced in the HEROES Act by the Democrats. They've introduced pandemic premium pay. So under their uh, pandemic premium pay proposal, essential workers would see an hourly pay increase of about $13 an hour. And this would happen through their employers uh, applying for grants that they would receive from the federal government, which would cover uh, 100% of this increase in pay. So the hazard pay itself would actually start in January 27th, so it's retroactive. And it would go to 60 days after the end of the pandemic. So there's no firm end date on this, which is important to know. So it's really hard to gauge exactly what costs are going to look like 
um, for the federal government here. On the other side of the aisle, uh, Senator Mitt Romney introduced his plan uh, called uh, Patriot Pay, uh, which would give essential workers making under $50,000 up to a $12 hourly increase. So the payment structure here is a little different. Um, similar to the one shown in the HEROES Act, it's an opt-in program uh, for employers. However, in this situation, employers cover one quarter of the increase in pay, and the rest is covered by the federal government through a refundable payroll tax credit. Uh, anyone making above that 50K sees the federal tax credit uh, solely phased out until there is no additional bonus at uh, $90,000 annualized pay. So that's mostly what's been happening on that front. But there are a lot of questions that still remain unanswered, uh, especially in regards to hazard pay, namely defining who an essential worker is. No one seems to quite have that figured out. Uh, furthermore, as this country gets into reopening, the less relevant this kind of thing becomes policy-wise. This might just not be the right issue moving forward uh, for the federal government to tackle. Gotcha. Sounds like there's a lot, lot of questions still to answer on this on this topic. Um, Isabel, thanks for taking the time and joining us today. Um, this, I think this was a great discussion, and I hope our listeners enjoy it. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.